This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Liverpool.com podcast. I'm your host Mo Stewart. I'm joined once again by James Martin and Emma Gates. Now, we don't normally let you know when exactly we record these, but if I tell you we're in the middle of a fiasco, you can probably work it out. But this is December. We are deep into awards season, end of year lists. Everybody's reflecting on the year that's just gone by. And we here at Liverpool.com are no different. After the political fiasco that was the Ballon d'Or and is also going on around us right now, uh, we thought it was important. Some of these awards have some recognition to the, us, the fans, the people who watch the team week in, week out. So we wanted to give a shout out and dedicate this whole episode to the Fans Football of the Year Awards. Now, there is both a national award for the whole of the Premier League and each individual Premier League team has their own award. Now, these have been chosen by journalists across the country, but they will be voted for by you, the viewing public. So we're going to focus, first of all, on the Liverpool award. Then we're going to do a little bit on the national award because one of ours is in there too. So... First of all, I should tell you the four names who are up for Liverpool's Fans Footballer of the Year 2021. They are, in no particular order, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Fabinho, Joel Matip, and of course, Mo Salah. Now, obviously, one of those names jumps out of the page straight away, James, but we're not going to start with him because that would be too simple. So let's talk about the current Premier League Player of the Month, first of all, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Now, over the course of 2021, because this is a calendar reward, he's played 44 games. He scored three goals. He's got 15 assists in the Red of Liverpool and a fair few for England as well. But more importantly, I think, he's got 20 clean sheets as part of a defensive unit as well. Now, we often talk about Trent as being this fantastic um, forward-going uh, assist machine. But I really think that he's improved defensively over the course of these 12 months. And if you think back to some of the stick he took earlier on this year, it's really a testament to him and his work ethic and attitude that he's been able to come on so far. Definitely. I think it's very interesting, actually. I think the defensive crisis last season could almost have helped Trent Alexander-Arnold's long-term development in the sense that there was that situation where Jurgen Klopp had to say to the fullbacks, look, rein it in a little bit. You can't bomb forward quite as much because, you know, at the end of the day, we've got Matt Phillips and Reese Williams between you. We need you back here, giving them some kind of protection. And, I mean, it, it clearly hurt Liverpool's attacking play. We saw the knock-on effect on that. But mm. there, there was definitely a more defensive brief for both of them over that that tricky period. And I think, yeah, there, there was sort of January, February time, maybe Alexander-Arnold was struggling with that quite a lot. We saw him left out of the England picture around that time as well. But then the reaction from that, having had that more defensive role for a couple of months and then having had to deal with that Gareth Southgate snub, the way he came back was just phenomenal. And like you say, not just in the attacking sense, but in terms of balancing that with with those defensive improvements, which are really clear in his game now. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where there's just a huge mismatch in terms of like general perception and Liverpool fans' perception. Mm-hmm. But the people who are actually watching him week in, week out realise now that he is a very accomplished defensive player like there's it's never going to be his key role but that's a tenet of the system rather than a particular weakness of in his game yeah he's he's become ridiculously well-rounded he has and 
Um, James makes a really good point there, Emma, about the perception. I think because Trent is so good going forward, he's always going to be assumed he's one of those players who doesn't have a defensive responsibilities or it doesn't even matter, so to speak. But when you are a part of a defensive unit like he is and are such an impressive elite unit, you have professional pride. You want to believe that you are able to face off of against any other attack up against you. And the racking up of the clean sheets, particularly in the second half of the season, is going to be a real source of pride. And for anyone who still peddles the old line about, oh, well, Trent can't defend, all he's got to do now is point to the numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And although in saying that I do agree with you and James, I do think he still is defensively suspect at times. He's undoubtedly improved, but because he's he bombs forward so often, he can he is guilty of leaving space behind him open mm. for teams to hit on the counter-attack. But in terms of actual one-on-one defending up against an opposing winger, he has definitely improved over the course of 2021. And especially, you know, at the back end of last season, when you consider Liverpool's defensive uh, crisis in defence and who was missing, and the fact that, you know, a lot of the clean sheets came in that second half of last season makes his achievement this year even more impressive. I think so. I mean, the 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 the, the um, out of position thing that's probably going to be in long run in debate forever and ever because there are some people who say, obviously, it's down his side. He's the one who's been uh, targeted by the opponents, but then there are others who say, well, it's part of the system, so it's more of his job to be there and not be there. That one will go on forever. But well, I think that's I think that's the trade-off. You know, he hmm. is so good. It's, he's kind of he reminds me of an English Danny Alves. Danny Alves wasn't the greatest defensively, but you could give him a pass because he offered such an attacking outlet on the right hand side. He was almost like a fourth attacker. Hmm. And Trent Alexander Arnold's the same. I mean, we saw that in the game against Aston Villa last weekend when they basically packed the box. Like the whole team was in their 18 yard box, and the likes of Mo Salah and Sadio Mane had very little room. So basically, Trent on the right hand side had a lot of freedom to rein in crosses, and we all know about how good he is with crosses. And so, in games like that, he is crucial because he offers another mm. outlet to attack when the likes of Salah and Mane are swamped by the opposition. So, I think it's all about the trade off. You know, you have to take the good and the bad. And for me, there's definitely more good. The, the positive outweighs the negative with Trent. I, th- I think that's a, very much the case. And as you mentioned previously, the, his one-on-one defending has improved. So regardless of where he is or where he isn't, when he is there and he has to do the job, he is now doing the job. Uh, one final thing about Trent in terms of areas for potential improvement, James. I mentioned he's only scored three goals. I mean, they were all bangers, to be fair. But is that something that we should be expecting more from him? I know that he is so deadly with his crossing, but eventually teams that are going to start dropping off of him, assuming the cross, it's going to give him space. And he's got a wonderful right foot. You'd expect him to be able to hit the target maybe a bit more than he has done. Yeah, and let's not forget that his role has changed in the team slightly just within the past few months alone um, with that sort of tucking in more into the central positions. Klopp's been very clear that he doesn't see his future in midfield, but he's also said, look, at times in game when we're on the ball, he's now playing essentially as a midfielder for us. He's coming much more narrow than he has been. And yeah, once you're in those pockets of space, you've got to have an eye for goal because that's 
that's one of the reasons you're tucking in there to to make the sort of telling impact from those spaces. I mean, Emmett mentioned the Villa game. It had the potential to be one of my favourite Liverpool goals if it had gone in where Salah dummies it, absolutely sells everyone with the dummy. It comes across the trend is in the perfect position to sort of whack it home. He didn't do too much wrong in that situation. So that's, it's not saying that was his fault. But yeah, it's those kind of areas where you'd hope he'd be hitting the target with a degree of regularity. Like you say, when, when his right foot is as good as it is, you know, that's it feels like just a matter of practice and then then he'll be that he'll offer that kind of threat if he doesn't already. Um you look at someone like a Reese James at Chelsea, he has that knack for shooting very effectively from the tight angle. So yeah, defenders don't know whether they're facing the, the pullback or the near post shot makes it much harder to defend. So yeah, I think I mean Trent's the kind of player who's always going to want to be improving everything he can. You've watched interviews with him, he's always saying the same. Another thing he said is how he wants to develop his left foot more, which would make him, mm. frankly, unplayable. If I mean, a trapper can literally go either side, either way, like it's just good luck to anyone trying to stop him, you know. But um, but yeah, I, I think goal threat, you would like to see a little bit more free kicks he could become more consistent on when he scores them. They're amazing, but some of them are awful. Um, <laughs> so yeah, a bit more consistency in the shooting, both, both in play and sort of from dead balls. But yeah, they, these are picking. Uh, I mean, these are things we fully expect him to do as well because he is that talented a footballer, we should point out. Okay, so let's move on to the next nominee, another very talented footballer. Someone who got on this list despite making only 20 appearances in the Red of Liverpool so far in 2021. He managed to be another member of this defence who's kept 10 clean sheets in those 20 games. And he is, Emmett, the best dribbler of a football in a direct straight line I've ever seen in my life. It's Mr. Joel Matip. Um, <laughs> obviously, I mentioned that he missed a large part of 2021, but how good has he been when we've had him on the pitch? Yeah, I mean, his, his return, you know, from, from injury has been... I, I'll be honest, I'll hold my hands up and say I didn't expect him to be that good coming back from a long-term injury. And to be honest, I don't know how he's on this list. Obviously, James is using <laughs> some form of skullduggery here to get him on the list. Purely because this is over a year and he missed, what, six months of the year. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll give James the fairness. Like, this list was picked by Liverpool's, um, the Liverpool Echoes LFC correspondent and 90s hip-hop connoisseur, Mr. Paul Gorst. So, direct all of your inquiries in his direction. <laughs> But to be fair, I think that speaks volumes about how well he has done. The fact that he missed the all of the second half of last season, and he's you know he's got on this list for twenty twenty one. So, I mean, yeah, him and Van Dijk obviously both have returned from their long term injuries and they've come back and they've formed a really solid partnership. Mm-hmm. And actually, you would probably say Matip has been the more impressive of the two since coming back. Um, Van Dijk's had one or two off performances but you can't really say the same about Matip and yeah he's just he had I, I will hold my hands up and say he's kind of taken me by surprise just how seamlessly he has come back into the starting 11 and, and he's performed and it, he you know you would say on the on the on the face of it he has rightly deserved to be nominated for for the award I know I, I agree with you. I think he has been our best defender, James. I'd go even further. I think he's been the best defender in the league this season. I think you've got maybe Antonio Rudiger could push him quite close. But I think in terms of consistency of performance, particularly as Emma mentioned, he's coming back from an injury. Obviously Van Dyke's injury was probably a little bit more 
Uh, it's going to take him a while to come, further to come back from. But in that time, he has been anchoring the defence. He has had more uh, responsibility. But also, when you think about the course of this year, the times when Liverpool didn't have him has kind of made him a bit more valuable almost. Did you see what happened when he wasn't there? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the collapse didn't come until Matip fell. Like, we were, Liverpool were holding things together with Matip as the only fit senior centre-back. I mean, it was looking a bit more ropey at that stage, but it was still... There was still almost a, a title charge in the offing. It was only when he succumbed that it all really went downhill rapidly. And yeah, that says a lot about his influence. I don't have to hold my hands up for anything because I knew how excellent he would be upon his return. <laughs> and of course, one of the foremost players in our league, as, as you point, as you rightly point out, Mo. Um, obviously, best defender so far this season. It's a huge shout. It's a league full of quality. You picked out Rudiger. But, you know, he's cheating. He's playing in the back three. It's much easier, isn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, like the the runs out. I mean, it's it's interesting because Rudiger and Matip are actually very similar players in terms of statistical profiles, things like that. But then, when you look at the the daring runs Rudiger goes on, again, it makes more sense because he's in back three. There's a little bit more freedom. The fact that Matip can offer that to the team in a back four, a traditional back four, and still always seem to be in the right place defensively, he just has that knack for knowing when he can go and when he can't go. And when he does go, it's a it's a hugely effective offensive weapon. Like it goes under the radar because you know he's not necessarily clocking up the goals or assists. But I, don't, I mean, I don't have the figures on it, but I imagine a lot of the passes before the assist will be him, or a lot of literally just making things happen, making space for other people. Even if he's not directly involved in the move, he'll be he'll be there. His presence will be disruptive because I mean, as a defender for the opposite team. I mean, who's tasked with picking up the centre back who's just rocked up in your box? Like it's it's an absolute nightmare. Well, well, that's the key, isn't it? Is at times when we're facing packed defences and everyone's marked up very tightly. There's a man for everybody. There's no one to account for him, and the rest of his Liverpool teammates trust his technical ability to be able to give him a quick one-two on the edge of a box or to be able to find that five-yard pass to get someone into space. Emma, I do have to bring up, however. His goal return. I know it feels a bit churlish to talk about all these defenders, talk about them not scoring goals. But just like we see him go on a Matip round ball, seems like every game now, every game now he gets a chance in the six-yard box and every game it does not look like scoring. Now, obviously, this is one of those scenarios where opponents are going to be keying in on Van Dyke and potentially Firmino when he comes back into the team and Jota as it stands now. So he's most likely to get space. He's a big guy. He's got a big head. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> even if we're asking for maybe two to three goals a season, that can make a massive difference, can't it? Yeah, and especially when you consider how good Liverpool are at scoring from corners. His goal return isn't exactly the greatest. He should be using his height to his advantage and getting on the end of them and directing them in the in the correct manner and putting it towards goal. Um, but I think we can't be too harsh on him. Um, for me, as long as he does his work at the other end of the pitch mm. and not the other, I'm I'm happy enough. Even if he, you know, he, as long as he keeps the goals out as opposed to you know scoring them, I'm still happy with how he's doing. But yeah. yeah. He should be at least getting one or two a season, especially from corners, as you say, with his height on his head. He's got an odd technique when you watch how he heads the ball, particularly in an offensive sense. Like, he doesn't really get off the ground. He just kind of sort of stretches up towards it, you know, <laughs> just like, uh, yeah, it's 
like you say, it's given his physical attributes, you do feel that he should maybe score more. But as a fellow tall person who's terrible in the air, I do, I do, feel, <laughs> I do feel his pace. So, yeah. See, that, that, that thing about jumping is a good shout, though. That's something that, now I think about it, he does act like he's always been the tallest in whatever room he's been in, so he's never really had to jump or stretch for anything. And now it's like, well, maybe maybe it's time to start exercising those calves. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. Now, Moving on now to our third nominee. Now, some, this is a fellow who did play a lot of games and he almost played all over the pitch. Uh, it's the Brazilian Fabinho. He managed 39 games in 2021 so far. And I'm putting his clean sheets numbers up there because he did spend a significant time in defence. He got 17 out of those 39 games, which is a good return. Uh, one goal and one assist added into the mix as well. Emma, I'll come to you on him first. I feel like, to a certain extent, we could almost give him two separate marks for 2021, the centre-back mark and the defensive midfielder mark. And obviously, centre-back wasn't something that he particularly wanted to do. It was out of necessity. And he did a good job for a considerable period of time. However, it was one of those things that the longer it went on, the more he began to struggle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's okay to put, you know, even though he's a defensive midfielder, it's a different position than playing a centre back. And you can put, you know, you can put a central or defensive midfielder in centre back maybe for one or two games and they could get by. But it was some bind Fabinho was like what five, six, seven, eight games in a row in a row because Liverpool had no other alternatives. And eventually you will get caught out. The position is not natural to your game, you will get caught out against better teams, you know, with all due respect, you can get away with it against Norwich, Burnley, Crystal Palace, but if you play at Man City, Chelsea, you know, Tottenham, you will get caught out eventually, and it's not that Fabinho actually got caught out, but you could tell he wasn't entirely comfortable in the situation, no. in the position, which is no fault of his own, because I mean, it's not, again, it's not, not doesn't come easy to him. No, and the other thing we have to remember, James, is that he could never really get settled because his partner was changing from week to week. I think he had about, I think he had more different partners than any of the other centre-back parents. I think he had about five or six different partners over the course of the season. So you're already doing something you're not quite used to. Your head's absolutely spinning. And then you're having to work out well, who's going to take the lead, who's going to be the organiser when it's changing from week to week. I think he did fantastic to last as long as he did, really. Oh, definitely. To be honest, when he first shifted there, it was a bit like, oh, sound, he's world-class as a defender as well. Like, <laughs> that's good to know. Like, he looked just genuinely almost Van Dyke-esque in some of the things he was doing, particularly in the in the early games there. Like you say, the longer it went on, it was a bit like, OK, maybe it's not as much of a long-term fix as we thought it might be. But mm. again, a lot of that is because Fabinho wasn't in front of him as a defensive midfielder, you know, like that was the trade-off. So he had to do the job of a central defender without his own shielding function in front of him, which is what <laughs> makes life so much easier for Van Dyke and Matip when everyone's fit. So, yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a double whammy for Fabinho there. And as you say, in the circumstances with so many different partners, yeah, I mean, fair play to him. He did a good job. And a lot of the time, you know, there were some results that didn't go our way during that spell, but there were some points that we did pick up. And, you know, it was close. That Champions League places run at the end and he played a big part in it. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. He did play a massive part, particularly in that running where he was able to get back into his midfield position. And 
And uh, I again, I've already said that Joel Matip, I think, has been one of the best defenders in the league. I wouldn't swap Fabinho in that position for anybody else in the Premier League at the moment. I think in terms of the not only just the access that he's been able to develop with Thiago, but the assurance that he gives everybody around him in that little radius that he that he sits from, it's just unparalleled. This might be slightly controversial, oh, God, but, I, but I, I genuinely believe that Fabinho is Liverpool's most important player because they're not the, they're not the same side when he's not there. You know, we saw that um, when he was out for a couple of games in October, mid-October, I think he was out for two or three games. I think that coincided with the 2-2 the draw against Brighton and I think the defeat to West Ham. I, I generally think he's more, even, more important than Mo Salah just because he gives so much protection to the defence, and he mm. can orchestrate, you know, obviously he's not, orchestrating play is not his forte, that's more Thiago's, but I feel that Fabinho, and everything he offers, he is Liverpool's most important player, and they don't look the same side when he's out. He's just, I, as you say, you wouldn't swap him for any player, probably in the world, in that position. He's just, mm. he he's immense, and he, he ticks, he's almost like two or three players in one. He's a bit like, I, I compare him kind of to Angolo Kante, and that he's kind of like two or three players in one. But Fabinho is better technically than Kante is. And I think there is no one in world football like him at the minute. I agree. And I think Liverpool's biggest problem, James, is that there's no one else in the squad who really does the same job as him. I mean, even talking about Mo Salah, we still have Sadio Mane, who can be as much of a goal threat, even if it's from a slightly different part of the pitch. But in terms of the actual attributes of Fabinho, we have Henderson who can play the six, but he still does it a very different kind of way. And obviously, previously, we've had Gino Wijnaldum who've done it. But now, as Emma mentioned, when Fabinho is out, you are starting to think, well, who's the best person here? And we're having to make do amend a little. Yeah, I mean, it's no disrespect to Henderson, but we don't have to say he does it a different way. He does it worse, which is... <laughs> <laughs> it's because Fabinho is watching Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but, but again, it's like we said, Fabinho has a case of being the best in the world in that position. Yeah, so it's really no slight on him. But um, and again, he's so good as an eight. Like it's just not his position, which is fair enough. It's the same way Fabinho wasn't as good as Van Dijk or Matic when he had to drop into centre back. It's just the way it goes. But yeah, there is a severe lack of depth beyond Fabinho. There, there's no other natural defensive midfielder in the team. I mean. Tyler Morton's been doing it a little bit recently, but again, even in the youth teams, he's been playing further forward. So it's another repurposed number eight. So even coming through the academy, there's no obvious Fabinho air or Fabinho cover. So yeah, it's it's probably one to look at in the sense of, you know, if we can get a deal done on a good value and someone is willing to come in mostly as cover, almost like the the Simicast of, of defensive mid, if you like, then um, then it would be handy because you, you do start sweating as soon as Fabinho's out. But then that is sort of the curse of having such quality players because whoever comes in when he's out is going to is going to be a step down in quality because he's just that good. I mean, we could really do with 11 Simicasts when you think about it. But... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we have got quite a few, or, or when I say able covers, let's say. But yeah, I think his is very much the... Uh, the hardest position to cover currently and it's because he's doing such a great job of it and hopefully he's someone who is tied down for a long time so hopefully he's able to stay free of injury and really show the world what he's capable of which brings me really nicely onto the fourth and final nominee of the, this fans football of the year award 
no surprise to anybody, it's Mohamed Salah. Um, we've mentioned the fact that Liverpool have had an up and down 2021. We had that period where it was rough for all of us. Even in that period, he was still a threat. He went, I believe there was one period where we had five Premier League games without a goal, but he was a threat in every single one of those five games, James. And his current total, 50 games in 2021 for Liverpool, 36 goals, 11 assists. I really am struggling to find anything new and fantastic to say about Mo Salah. How are you doing? Yeah, similarly. I mean, one thing I will say is that when you hear those numbers, you think, how did Messi score more than 90 goals in a calendar year? Mohamed Salah is having, you know, one of the most phenomenal years any of us have ever seen. And yeah, he's about, you know, about 60 on goals off the pace. So, um, but yeah, no, that's, that's no slight on Salah. It's just a credit to the otherworldly talent that Messi at his peak was. But yeah, I mean, Salah now is taking up the mantle as, mm. as best player in the world. And and if you if you extrapolate... well, 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 seventh, if you want to go by the Ballon d'Or, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. But no, if you well, if we're the... writing that wrong right here, Emma. Yeah, you're right now. Bad football of the year. We have the chance to to make amends. But um, yeah, if, if if he'd been posting the numbers he'd been doing this season throughout the year, then he, I mean, he'd still be behind, but he wouldn't be very far behind those kind of just otherworldly, ridiculous, unbelievable numbers that we've seen in the past. It's He's really, you didn't think he had another gear, but he's found one. He's, he's scoring even quicker than 17-18. Than like at, at the equivalent point in his debut season, he hadn't got this many goals. So, yeah, it's it's remarkable stuff. It's He was already, I, I think he was our, our most important player. Maybe maybe there's a case for Fabinho, but he was already right up there. Uh, and he's just, he's got better, which I don't think any of us were expecting. And it's and it's an absolute joy to see it as well, Emmett, isn't it? To not only see him get better, but to know that he's doing it for us and in our team. And we spent, um, James mentioned there the, the 17-18 season and the fact that we all thought that would never be bettered. I mean, he's got 21 already. There's talk of him getting 50. I mean, at the moment, there are very few players in world football who you can casually say, yeah, they might score 50 goals in a season. In fact, I would say there's probably three. And he's looking like he wants to join that group of three. Am I am I speaking out of turn here? Do we do, do we think it's possible he can score twenty nine goals between now and the end of the season? I mean, you definitely wouldn't rule it out. And I mean, you were saying about the three. Um, I would actually currently I would put it down to maybe two: Salah and Robert Lewandowski. I don't think Messi or Ronaldo now can post those kind of numbers anymore. So it's literally you're literally just talking about two players at the going rate. Um, and I think what we need to remember too is that at the back end of last season, it was Salah that carried Liverpool to a large extent to that fourth because uh, Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino's numbers, their output fell off a cliff, you know, compared to the last the prior two seasons. So it was really Salah that carried Liverpool to that fourth Champions League spot in many regards. And then in this season, he's kicked on. And he, I think he's become a more complete package. Like, some of the assists that he's given this year, like, I'm thinking off the top of my head, the outside of the foot pass to the Mane against Watford. Like, delightful. The one against Man City where he skips past three or four players, slides in the pass for Mane again, who scores. I think this season, there's just a greater awareness. Because it was always the thing about Salah, 
about the greedy tag, you know, and that he didn't look, he didn't lift his head. He just got the ball and just, he was looking for the goal. But I think now there's a greater awareness in his game of where his teammates are. And you're seeing that now in his assist numbers, you know, what's he on now? Nine, 10 assists in the first half of the season. So I definitely think he has morphed into the complete package as a footballer. And the hope now is for the next, obviously if, fans are getting a bit apprehensive about whether a new deal is forthcoming or not. Mm-hmm. And you just, the hope now is that the club can tie him down for the next three or four years, because if he continues his trajectory now, you know, we could be, he, he's nearly virtually unstoppable now, but if he continues yeah. as he is the next two or three years, he's just going to be, you know, out of this completely out of this world. The, the, the idea of watching him soar for someone else in a similar way to, Luis Suarez did when he joined Barcelona. Uh, I'm not sure I could sign up for that again. So, <laughs> can't, can't take the I, I just, I just couldn't do. I just couldn't go through that again. So you're right, Emma. We need to get that done. We need to get that done seriously. Um, so those are the four nominations for the fans' footballer of the year award. You can vote for that. The website is www.mirror.com forward slash fans footballer of the year. But Mohamed Salah is also nominated for the National Award alongside Edouard Mendy, Mason Mount and Jorginho, all of Chelsea, Kevin De Bruyne, Ruben Diaz, Phil Foden of Manchester City, plus Declan Rice of West Ham and Bruno Fernandes of Manchester United. Now, some of those have some strong claims. I would say um, Edouard Mendy has been fantastic. Uh, Ruben Diaz obviously was Player of the Year. Uh, Phil Foden's been fantastic. Uh, Declan Rice, I think, has done really well in a good team. But this is the Fans Footballer of the Year awards, James. This is about the feeling of going to a match or watching a match, wherever you may be, and looking at footballers and thinking, wow, that guy is incredible. No one has done that like Mo Salah this season, in this kind of year even. No, not even close. Um, just on Mendy, there was a, seeing this uh, graph the other day, sort of assessing how goalkeepers do on one v ones, and he he wasn't even on the graph because it was done by um, players players who faced at least twenty one v ones, and like Mendy still not reached that point for Chelsea yet. So a, a lot of what a lot of his a lot of his impressive stats come from the impressive defence in front of him. So he's a very good player, but um, but yeah, for me, it doesn't come close. But yeah, like you say, no one on the list really comes close to Salah. Like you say, that's a key criteria given what the what the scope of the award is. You want someone who you know gets the fans off their seats, who excites players, who, who excites people, who plays in the right way. Um, yeah, just is capable of producing just the sheer magic that makes people love watching the game. And yeah, there's only there's only one player on that list who, who really fits that bill, and that's that's Mohamed Salah. I think you're right there. And I think one of the things you mentioned is key is that he's able to astound opposition fans as well. I think we've all seen the viral video, the uh, Watford fans just standing and applauding that ridiculous goal he scored down at Vicarage Road. And aside from maybe the English midfield trio, Emmett, I think I'm putting him as the favourite for this award in terms of uh, neutral support. He is that guy who still makes people... Uh, want to watch football in a way that not very many other players can. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as you as you said, Mo, you know, you, you vote for a player that evokes feelings in you and gets you up off your seat and makes you jump for joy. 
you know, it's not really about winning trophies as such. Because, I mean, if, if you're based it around that, Jorginho should probably win, considering that he won the Champions League and the Euros. And he is a good player for Chelsea, but he's not. he doesn't excite people. That's not his role. And the same for Mendy. Goalkeepers very rarely win awards because it's just it's the nature of the position. People uh, gravitate towards you know attacking midfielders or strikers because they're the ones that bring out the emotion in us. And nobody has did that better this calendar year than Mo Salah by far. No. So there you have it. We have all had our say. And unsurprisingly, we are all voting for Mo Salah for Fans Footballer of the Year. Um, before we go, who are you two deciding on Liverpool's Fans Footballer of the Year? Because it doesn't necessarily have to be the same man. James, I know that you may be thinking about picking someone differently. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very contrived, isn't it? Because obviously, if Salah's the best in the league, <clears> then he's the best at Liverpool. But I'm taking the leaf out of the PFA's book. They seem to find a way where... The player of the year who's also on the 23 isn't the young player of the year. So um, I'm, I'm happy to to follow that lack of logic. And yeah, I mean, I've been given a chance to to give Joel Matip an award. So obviously, <laughs> I'm going, I'm never in doubt. I had to time. I mean, genuinely, I, I feel exactly the same as you, James. I, I feel like uh, there's an obligation here to recognise <laughs> the the genius that is Joel Matip. Emma, how do you feel? Um. I would probably go with Fabinho just for how pivotal he is mm. to the midfield and basically it doesn't function the same without him. So I'm going to go right. for the Brazilian. There you go. A wide range of, of opinions there. And even if the guy who none of us asked for, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold wins, I don't think there'll be many too upset. So all of you who've been watching and listening here, let us know who you think should be the fans football of the year. And don't forget to vote. You can go to www.mirror.co.uk forward slash fans footballer of the year to cast your vote and right those wrongs of those political idiots in UEFA and France football. Uh, James, Emmett, I feel like our day is not quite over yet, but thank you for <laughs> At least this has been fun. <laughs> Everybody else, we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.